Thank you for joining us for our current sermon series at City Baptist Church. And this is Pastor Paul, and right now we're in a study of the life of one of the most well-known individuals in all of Scripture, King David from the book of 1 Samuel. As we study the highs and lows of his life, we'll see that in every circumstance, God is working for his glory and for our good. We are so thankful that you would choose to grow in your faith with us. And if there's anything we can do for you, we would love to hear from you through our website or social media accounts. We really do believe that God is changing lives through His Word, and so we are praying that you'd be encouraged and challenged by this week's message. First Samuel chapter 17 today. First Samuel chapter 17. I'll have a lot of the scripture on the screen for us today so you can follow along. I hope that you'll take some notes. But we began last week by looking at probably one of the most famous stories in all of scripture. If you think about it, it's, it's, it's one of those stories that regardless of whether or not you went to church uh, or even maybe someone at your, at your workplace, even if they've never been to church in their life, if you just say, do you understand the principle or the concept of David and Goliath, they would totally get it. It's like for some of you, if I just said Lord of the Rings, right? Like you just tell me the whole story. Uh, even for people that have not grown up in church, they understand the principle or the idea of a David and Goliath. But What we talked about last week, and I think it is important for us to just set and remind ourselves about this morning, is that at first glance, many Christians actually misunderstand, though, the principles, or they misunderstand the application of the story, and here's why. As Christians, often when we read the story of David and Goliath, we know where it's going, and so what we like to do is we like to put ourselves, and we like to say this, I'm David, right? (laughs) I'm David. And uh, we look at that story, we're like, that means that I'm going to overcome any problems that come my way, no matter how big they seem. I'm David, and so I'm going to be able to overcome it. And that's, I got to tell you, that's a misunderstanding of the passage. For us to put ourselves in the place of David, to make ourselves the hero of any story in Scripture, to make yourself the hero, that's always a wrong application. And, And I think we need to understand that at the very outset. Because the truth is this, Though we want to be like David and we wish that we were David, the reality is, is that we are actually more like the Israelites. That's who we are. We're the ones that are cowering in fear. We're the ones that when the giant comes that seems insurmountable, we're the ones that are like afraid, don't want to advance. We're the ones that pretend like we've got it all figured out and, and we, you know, like the battle, you know, they made the battle in array. The Bible says that they came and the, the army stood there. But in reality, when that giant comes and that, that uh, insurmountable odd comes in our life, we are the ones that are running away. We tremble in fear, not because the enemy is too great, but because like the Israelites, our faith is so small. And that's the reality of the passage. The reality is that we are not David, we are the Israelites. And that's why a proper understanding of this passage is imperative, because when David does eventually arrive in the story, and last week we covered about 30 verses or so of the passage, when David does arrive into the story, it gives us hope, because what we see in this young teenager is someone with courage that is found in his absolute assuredness of the fact that the God of Israel would fight on their behalf. David doesn't show up and say, hey, it's all about me. David shows up with confidence knowing that it is God who's gonna fight on their behalf. I will remind you of this verse from last Sunday in verse 26 of 1 Samuel 17 that says, and David, he spake to the man that stood by him. So he saw the fear in the the nation there. He saw the fear in the army. And he says, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away his reproach from Israel? 
For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, notice this last part, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here's what I I pointed out to us last week. In this question that David has right here, there's no uh, questioning at all whether or not it's going to happen. Do you see that? He simply says this. And so David rolls up and he says, hey, what's going to be done for the guy who, who kills this guy? He's not like, hey, do you guys think we can kill him? That's not what he's saying. Do you think that we can overcome uh, this adversary? No, not at all. He comes with confidence and he says, it's it's a done deal. What's going to happen for the guy who gets it? (laughs) And uh, and, and if you've never heard the story before, you have to understand Israel is in a battle against the Philistines. And uh, they they, they come to this place and they're on either side of a valley and they're, they're facing off against each other. And the Philistines decided rather than just going army against army, we're going to send out a champion. This is very common in ancient times. We're going to send out our best fighter and you send out your best fighter. And then whoever wins is basically, that's the end of it. And and there's a a lot of, you know, spared lives and and all of that rather than a big, a, a, a big battle. So that's the situation, and David shows up. His brothers are fighting in the arm, and he shows up. He brings him some food from his dad, and his confidence is this. What's going to happen when this guy's defeated? And I love that. I love that. He has so much confidence. The whole army is afraid. The king is afraid, and yet David has confidence. Now, what happened in the story is that when David stood up and said, hey, what's going to happen? His brothers came along and discouraged him. Do you remember that? And his brother comes along and they say, you're just full of pride. And they come along and they say, who's watching the sheep? You know, you're you're neglecting your responsibilities. And uh, David, you're just a foolish little boy. You're just a teenager. You know, what are you doing here? And they start to attack his confidence. But what I love about David is when we pick up the story where we are this morning, we're going to see that his courage is still there. No matter, so, no matter if somebody came to him and, and tried to throw some shade on his courage, he still is courageous and he says, let's go forward. Well, the words of courage were picked up by the other men in the army and they told King Saul. So this is where we're going to pick up the story today. I hope I've given you a bit of a background uh, just to get us all at the same place. So the first point that I have this morning, if you're taking notes, is very simply the bravery of David. Point number one this morning in this passage, we see the bravery of of David. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 31 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for him. So they heard what he was saying. Somebody comes to King Saul and says, hey, there's this dude out here and this is what he's saying. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. He's talking about Goliath. He says, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. So again, what do we see in this passage? We see David coming to Saul and saying, listen, I don't want anyone to be afraid. Now, again, we have to remember how the Bible describes him. He's like a cute little teenage boy. I won't pull anybody up here to embarrass them today, but he's just like a, you know, scripture says that he was just sort of like, oh, he's so cute, you know, like he's just a cute little teenager. And he's not the guy that you would pick to go to battle. But yet here he is saying, Saul, King Saul, don't worry about a thing. I got it, okay? I'm going to go, and I'm going to fight this giant. Understand his, uh, uh, his courage here. This is, this is pretty amazing. He doesn't have a doubt at all. He says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to fight. And what's so amazing is if you consider fully what was at stake in this battle. Last week, I shared with you uh, just sort of the region of where this was happening. And so the battle, we understand, was right here between Azekah and Soka. And you see those two that I circled there on the left. 
So these were two villages, and kind of to the uh, west from there was a Philistine-occupied territory. They had come in and had taken it away from Israel. It was part of God's original promised land, and they had taken it in battle. And so this was kind of their stronghold, Gath. It's kind of got the line on it. That's where Goliath was from. But here's what I want you to notice. Do you see the line that kind of goes up in between these two, uh, these two other circles, Bethlehem and Gibeah, and also a major city was right in the middle called Jerusalem. So these are major cities. These are important strongholds. Bethlehem, of course, is where David was from. Gibeah is where King Saul had his, his home. And then, of course, Jerusalem later on would be the head of, uh, of the country. Now, think about this for a moment. If the Philistines were victorious in this battle, in this valley right here, they would have had a straight shot right through the heart of the country. And really, Bethlehem and Gibeah would have been then in danger. So do you understand what I'm trying to get across here? This was a big battle. Like this is a, this is a very important battle. It's a very important battle. This is a strategic uh, battle. And yet here we have an entire nation, not all you know, ready to go because, man, this is a big deal. Rather, we have this kid, this teenager, David, coming, trying his best to comfort the hearts of the army. But Saul wasn't quite convinced. And we look at verse number 33. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Saul, of course, is feeling the guilt in his own life, I believe, about his own lack of courage. I mean, this is the king that was supposed to go before them. This is the king that's supposed to fight the battles for his people, and he's still hiding back. He's still afraid, and so he throws some uh, doubt on young David here, and he says, listen, look at your age. He points to his lack of experience in battle. It's almost like a repeat of his own brother's discouragement, but David wasn't having it. Let's look at verse 34. If you got your Bibles, I'm going to read there down to verse 36. So Saul's saying, I don't know if you're going to be able to do this. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. All right, he has my attention. He's telling a story. If you came to me and said, hey, pastor, I got to tell you this story, what happened this week, and it has, involves a lion and a bear, I'm paying attention, right? Okay, I know I would be. I hope you are too. So he says, a lion and a bear took a lamb. Remember, he's a shepherd. Verse 35, and I went out after him and I smote him. I hit him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. This is incredible. Look at verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, what's that word there? What'd he say? Go. Oh, that was terrible. What'd he say? Go. Okay. And the Lord be with thee. So David comes and he pleads his case before Saul. He says, listen, I, I, I know I don't look like much, but I've got some experience. And then he begins to tell him this story about how while defending his father's flocks from wild animals, of them had taken one of the lambs, he chased close. I'm scared of dogs. His mouth, and he thinks he's one, and as he's walking away, it says that by the fur, and he beat it to death. Come on. I know, so, I know today in you know, Vancouver, like, be nice to animals. I get it. You should be nice to animals, but listen. If you told me about how you killed a wild animal in the woods with your fists or with a club, I'm, I'm your best friend. I just want you to know that. And I want you to come live with me. I mean, that's amazing. It's a crazy story. 
And so he tells this to Saul, and, uh, and Saul, I think, is, is, is amazed at this young guy's courage, this little guy's courage. But I want you to notice something in this passage. This is so great. I want you to notice that David in this story uh, made it clear, though, who was behind the victory. Did you notice that? David was never like, I threw down on that bear, and, you know, because I'm so, I'm lightning fast, you know, and I did all this. No, not at all. He said it was who? It was God, right? It was God who gave me the victory. And just like God gave me the victory over the lion and over the bear, God is going to give me the victory over this Philistine. Understand, this is what David is declaring. He's saying, it's all about God and it's not about me. It's all about God and it's not about me. And I got to tell you this morning, church, listen, this is a great reminder for us that we do not become people who boast in our accomplishments, we should never, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, be people who try to point to uh, our own uh, goodness or, or maybe how great we think we are. We should never point to ourselves in every good thing that we have in this life. It's all about Jesus Christ, and it's all about him, because he is the one who gives us our very breath, and Jesus is the one who has given us our talent and our treasure and any time that we have in this life. And so as believers, we need to make a point that whenever there's an opportunity for praise to be given to us or for us to tell a story about a good thing that's happened or a good thing that has been done, we need to make sure that we give glory to God and him alone, okay? It's all about Jesus and it should be given to him. He is the one, all the glory <laughs> evermore to him as we sang about. And so David, of course, filled with the Spirit at this point, we know uh, he, he is filled with confidence. He believes that God is going to make uh, a difference here. And so Saul then gives his permission along with sort of a blessing there. He says, uh, go and the Lord be with thee. We pick it up in verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off of him. So Saul, even though he says, all right, David, I want you to go, uh, we see Saul still trusting in his armor. So he says, here, I want you to put my armor on. Again, it's a little guy. Saul, we know, was head and shoulders above any other man in Israel. So he's a big dude as well. And so he gives him his armor, and he's trying to, like, buckle it all in. You can see that there he's trying to put the sword on his side, you know. And he's kind of walking around. And he's like, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is not going to work. And uh, so uh, he gets rid of the armor. He says, you know what? This isn't going to work for me. And so David returns to what he knows in verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand, so his shepherd's staff, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a script. It's a smaller bag within a bag. So he put the stones within it. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. Rather than the armor and the weapons of Saul, David turned to the weapons he knew and he used daily as a shepherd. And so he heads to a nearby stream where he chooses five smooth stones. Now, Jeanette and I had the opportunity to be in the Valley of Elah just a few weeks ago, really. And uh, this is a, a short video of a brook in the Valley of Elah. How cool is that, right? And we were just there uh, in January. And uh, it was really cool to be a part of it and to see it. And I got to tell you, I grabbed five smooth stones. <laughs> I know you would have, <laughs> right? I got four sons and me. And so I grabbed five, uh, five smooth stones. They're not super smooth, uh, but I grabbed some and I brought one with me here today. Each of my boys have one. 
And uh, I was so reminded as I stood there in the Valley of Elah, this very spot. I don't know that this is the exact brook, you know. There was no sign or anything. Like, this is where David was. Um, but, you know, you like to imagine it, and it was right there. Uh, it's right up against the mountain face, as we know where Israel was set up. And so David goes, and this is what he knew. This is what he knew. He's a shepherd. Uh, you know, they didn't carry firearms, and a sword wasn't going to be a lot of help to you if there was wild animals around. You needed something to scare things away. And so a shepherd and his sling uh, was a big deal. Now, I want you to understand that the rocks that I grabbed uh, don't really reflect the kind of stones that he would have been throwing. Uh, if you do any sort of research at all about it, it would have been more like this baseball right here. Now, who's, who wants to volunteer because I'm going to throw it at you? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> So this is a baseball size, and this really was the size of the rocks. Interestingly enough, if you do some research, uh, ancient armies even, at a time, they had slings that wouldn't only just throw rocks and stones. Later on, the Romans began to develop a um, lead and steel uh, projectiles that they would throw at a high velocity. They estimate even today, they're able to get close to 100 miles per hour, 160 kilometers per hour of speed. Now, I played baseball uh, my whole life. I think the fastest pitcher I ever play, uh, played against was throwing around 96, 97 miles an hour. And I remember how fast that was and how much I did not want to get hit by the ball, right? And so you can imagine a stone coming at you at 100 miles an hour. I mean, it could do some serious damage. Later on, this is interesting. And if you want, I encourage you to go to YouTube. You can watch for hours on people practicing with slings. It's really fun. Um, but uh, even later on, ancient armies used to, throw, uh, used to throw arrows, which I had no idea like a thick arrow that could pierce armor, and they could throw it with great accuracy. So David, being a shepherd, he would have had a lot of time to practice. You know, he's out there in the fields. He's got time on his hands. I know when I was a kid and I had a slingshot or a BB gun or something, I was always practicing with that. And so David was very accurate, and so he went and he got what he was used to. He got these smooth stones. Now, I just want to tell you, there's nothing mystical or, like, spiritual about the number five being the stones. Okay? Some people try to really read into it, you know, and I believe that Goliath had four brothers, right? He's going to get them all, that kind of a thing. It's not like that at all, okay? Just don't, don't misunderstand that. But realize what David was doing. He was getting what he was used to, what God had gifted him in, and now he's going to head into the battle. Understand the giant that he's about to face from Scripture tells us he was nine feet six inches tall. I'm six foot five. Four, sorry, I almost lied about my height. That would have been terrible in the pulpit. That would have been terrible. I'm six foot four, five with my shoes on, okay? Six foot four. And uh, imagine nine feet six inches. I mean, that's significant difference, okay? He had 125 pounds of armor on. He had a spear that was eight and a half feet long. It had a head on the spear that was 16 pounds. This was a formidable guy. He had a huge sword. And David walks out to the battlefield with a slingshot. <laughs> and, and I have a, a quick picture of one here, just sort of what it would have been. This is the bravery of David. Next, as we continue, though, we see the blasphemy of Goliath. The blasphemy of Goliath. Let's look at verse number 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. He had a member, he had another guy who would carry his shield for him. Verse 42, and when the Philistine looked about and he saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, 
and ruddy and of a fair countenance. That's the idea of just sort of like, really like just sort of baby-faced is what it means. He was a baby-faced little guy. And so Goliath, this huge guy, looks at this baby-faced little kid coming to him, and it says that he disdained him. He was just like, who in the world does this guy think he is? Have you ever thought that about somebody? Who do you think? It's like me when I go play basketball with my, my son, you know, my teenage son. I'm like, who do you think you are, you know? Okay, you guys, all of, the, all of the dads know what that's like. We're, we're like that with our kids until then the one day they beat us, and then it's like, okay, I don't want to play ever again. Anyway, um, he's like, who is this guy? He's disdaining him, verse 30, uh, 43. And the Philistine said unto David, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? That's a sticks? You're coming, you're going to throw sticks at me like a dog? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And David said, I've never heard such words. Right? He covered his ears. And the Philistine said to David, come to me. And I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Now, this was a common practice in ancient days, especially when it was the battle of the champions, right? And so they come to each other and they just hurl insults at one another. Uh, maybe like your last family meal, right? <laughs> they get together and they're, they're insulting each other and, and hopefully you're not doing this. They're cursing each other. They're talking all kind of trash. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those like MMA weigh-ins, you know, and they're just like ripping on each other. I'm going to kill you. And they're, they're yelling at each other. That's basically what was going on here. They're shouting uh, back and forth. And Goliath, I mean, he's really good at trash talk, isn't he? We talked about that last week. That guy could bring the heat. I don't know what his walk-up song was. You know, it probably was like Eye of the Tiger, you know, like, dun, dun, dun. and he's just like, I got this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to slaughter this little guy. And he's, and he's just talking trash, and he's just beating him down. He's yelling at him, and he's cursing him by his pagan gods. He's blaspheming the God of Israel. And then he says, I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds and to the beasts of the field. I hope no one's ever said that to you, but that's a pretty, pretty, strong, uh, pretty strong statement, right? In other words, he says, I'm going to kill you, boy. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. It's over. Now, we got to give David his props, okay? we got to give David his props. He doesn't back down. As he approaches the Philistine, he responds with his own verbal response here. But instead of just attacking Goliath, here's what I want you to notice in the passage. This is really cool. He contrasts the difference. Likes to bring up here. Look at the next verse in verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, he said, you come to me with a sword and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. Notice here, David does not come in and counter Goliath's insults. You know, like some kid would, you know, like, I'm going to feed you to the birds. Well, I'm going to feed you to the birds, you know, like he does, you know, like kind of like a, try to insult him back. No, he doesn't even address what he says here. He says, listen, I'm going to just compare for a moment your weapons to my God. I'm going to compare the weapons of the giant to my almighty God. Now, this is so powerful, church. And we need to understand this because this is an example how we can face our enemy, Satan, how we can face those temptations when we are under attack, when we are burdened uh, by, by the difficulties and trials of life. See, Jesus gave us the same example in Matthew chapter 4 when he responded to the temptations of the devil by using the word of God. And what was he doing? He was taking the so-called blessing that Satan was tempting him with, and he was comparing it to the word. In essence, he was comparing it to the goodness of God. And so that's what's happening here. While, while Goliath says, I've got all this stuff and, and I'm going I'm to absolutely destroy you, he says, it is, the it, is, it is my God. And this is the comparison he's trying to make. 
compare the attacks and temptation and the difficulties of this life, when you compare it with the truth of our God, I got to tell you, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear at all. Because when you try to, uh, uh, when Satan comes, let's put it this way, when Satan comes and he attacks you and he accuses you, and we know that uh, scripture tells us that Satan is the attack, accuser of the brethren. So he accuses us and he, he tells us things like, you're not good enough. You ever felt that way? I feel like that way all the time. And in my heart and my mind are just like, man, what am I doing here? I'm way over my head. I, I, I don't deserve to be here. But when you compare that with the word of God that tells us that I'm created in the image of God and he knew me before I was born and he has a purpose and a plan for my life, that just quickly fades away, doesn't it? You understand what I'm saying here? When we take the attacks and we compare it with God, there's no comparison at all. God always wins. When we uh, begin to believe in our heart that our bitterness and our unforgiveness is where we need to live in and we need to you know, punish those people that have done such wrong to us, but when you compare that with what scripture says about the joy of the Lord and uh, redemption and forgiveness, there's no comparison. When you begin to believe that, you know, that sexual sin that you're involved in and those things that you're looking at and what you're allowing into your life and you, you believe that that sin is better than God's plan for you, but when you compare that to the joy of a biblical and godly family and a righteous relationship and a pure heart between you and somebody else, there's no comparison. When we uh, struggle with uncontrolled anger and you compare that to true joy that's found in Jesus Christ, there's no comparison. When you struggle with a discouraging uh, mindset and you're always down and you're discouraged and you just feel like I don't want to go on and you don't want to get out of bed and it's just, it's just too much for me to handle and you understand what scripture says in, in Romans chapter 12 that you can have a renewed mind and how it can change your outlook and change everything about you, there's no comparison. There's no comparison. And so when Goliath is standing there with all of his armor, David says, you come to me with that stuff, but I come to you in the name of the Lord because he is way more powerful than anything the enemy may send our way. David is shining the light of truth on Goliath that nothing, nothing he had could compare to the God of Israel. And I gotta tell you, there is nothing in this life, there is no sin, there is no challenge that can compare to the goodness of God in your life. I want you to know that today. Understand that. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, it does not compare to God and his word. Sometimes, though, you just got to get into it and understand it and believe it and know it. Too often, we come to church and we want, hey, pastor, can you make me feel better, right? Hey, make me feel good about myself, you know? Tell me the truths of the word of God. And the rest of the week, this is never touched. This is what we have right here. If you're a Christian today, this is the infallible, perfect word of God. We can trust it. You can know it. It can be revealed to you. The Holy Spirit can illuminate it in such a way that you understand it and apply it directly to what you're going through. I'm so thankful for the times that in my life that I'm struggling and going through difficulty that I open my Bible and I spend time in it and God just reveals truth to me that helps me to continue on and keep going. Because there is nothing, nothing, church, that you could be going through. There is no sin that is besetting you. There is no temptation that's trying to overcome you that compares to the glorious goodness of our God. And that's what David is saying. There is no comparison at all. David continues, and he gets in his digs. Notice in verse 46, this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand. I will smite thee. I love this. Now he's like, all right, there's no comparison. Now I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna smite you, and I'm gonna take your head from you. Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> 
it's getting serious, right? <laughs> I'm going to take your head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So he compares it, and then David, in his, in his heart of trust of God, he says, all right, you know what? In fact, all of you are going to be fed to the beasts and the birds. I mean, he, he takes it up a whole nother level. I mean, this is impressive here. Verse uh, 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Goliath's blasphemy and insults did not phase him, just like the enemy's attacks should not phase us. You say, why is that, Pastor? Why, why could you say that today? Well, the answer there is in verse number 47, where he says, for the battle is the Lord's. It's our third thought this morning from this passage. The battle is the Lord's. Let's uh, hurry through verse uh, 48 down through 51. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose, this is Goliath, and he came and he drew close to, uh, nigh to meet David. And David hasted and he ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. So I like to imagine this kind of stuff, but I can't, it's hard to imagine this. You got the armies on either side. Goliath is coming out. Everybody knows what's going down. And Goliath is, you know, making his way. Of course, he's kind of slow because he's so big, right? And David just starts running at him. I always wondered what his brothers were thinking, you know? They were so down on him. I wonder if they were like, no, you know? No, it's, I just see it's all slow motion, right? And he's just like, whoo, and the thing's just like, whoo, whoo. Okay, all right, anyway, I can just, it's, it's amazing to think about, you know? And he's running, and everybody's like, you know, and they're all watching what's going to happen, okay? Verse uh, 48, and uh, David put his hand in his bag, and he took a stone, and he slang it. I mean, it's so, so anticlimactic right here, right? You know, he's running, he's got a stone, and, he's go, and he just released that stone, and everything just went like, mm, slow motion, right? And everyone's like, I can't believe this is happening. In slow motion, that rock is just going at this guy, and it smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead. Who said the Bible wasn't any fun, right? And uh, you're like, oh, I can't believe the Bible has so much violence. Uh, let's turn on Netflix, right? I'm going to watch tons of violence and zombies and all this terrible stuff that you guys watch, and you get offended at the Bible have a little violence in it, okay? You're so desensitized. Okay, all right, here we go. And he fell on his face to the earth. So he hit it in such a way, in an angle, an upward angle, and he fell forward, Okay. Verse uh, 50 and 51. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Oh, no. What did he do? Verse 51. Therefore, he ran and he stood on the Philistine. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm sorry. He stands on the Philistine. He takes out his sword and he drew it out of the sheep. Notice this. Goliath hadn't even taken his sword out. He, wasn't, he was not afraid of David at all. Do you get that? He didn't even take his sword out to fight. He's just like, I'm going to go over there and just, you know, bop him on the head, right? He pulls the sword out and he slew him. So he put that sword right in this. He wanted to make sure he was dead. And he cut off his head therewith. Wow. Hmm. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. I mean, just as quickly as the conflict had begun, David won a very quick victory. It's like, you know, I already mentioned MMA. Have you ever seen those MMA fights and it's over in like five seconds? <laughs> you know, everyone's all pumped up. Here we go, biggest fight of the year. It's over, right? Enemy without using a sword, without using a spear, without having traditional armor, only a sling and a stone and a perfect shot. And I got to say, it was guided by the Lord. 
I believe that with all my heart. That was the perfect shot. It hit him in the right place. And he hit the ground. David stands on him, climbs on him. What a statement, right? And it shows you the size difference as well. He stands on him, he pulls out his sword, and he finishes the job and then cuts off his head with his own sword. It would have been shocking. Maybe not so shocking to those military guys. They saw some terrible, terrible things. But to us today, I mean, that would have been a shocking sight to experience. And everyone who saw it go down was amazed. And notice how the army responded. Did you see that? The Philistine army shocked that their amazing champion was killed by a little boy (laughs) responded. Notice how they responded. It says that they fled. They panicked. They started running away from the battlefield. We pick it up in verse 52. And the men of Israel uh, and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. So the Philistines say, oh man, Goliath is dead. And they just start running. The army just disbands and they start running. And the, and the uh, Israelite army, they're like, all right, let's go. It's time. And so they start running after them and they pursue the Philistines until they come down, uh, come to the valley, to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Shereim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. I mean, back to the hometown of Goliath, uh, there were dead Philistines along the road. Get that. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. So remember they had set up uh, for the battle. They went and they went through all of their tents and, and took everything that they had. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Wow, what a story. God gave a great victory that day. The Philistines, they suffered these heavy casualties. They're scattered. Their uh, army is severely impacted. And David, we see him (laughs) calmly take Goliath's armor off his body, put it into his tent, put his head, I don't know if he put it in a bag or just held it by the hair, and he took it to Jerusalem. (laughs) I don't know why or what was at Jerusalem, but he said, I'm taking this with me, you know? And uh, and the end here, (laughs) and it's it's an incredible end to a tense situation, certainly for King Saul and the Israelites. So that brings us to a question for us this morning as we close. Here's the question I want to ask us. What does this mean for us today? What does this mean for us today? Here we are in 2023. What does the story of David and Goliath mean for us today? Is it that God loves an underdog story, right? Come on, it's the March Madness right now. It's been great to see some 16 seeds upset some one seeds. I and mean, that's pretty crazy. If you had any money on those, you're, you're out. It's over. Uh, I think everyone's bracket is done, right? And uh, is that the story? You know, if you just have enough faith, if you just believe, believe as you can, then God's going to, you know, overcome the giants in the life. If you just have enough confidence, you'll overcome disease and financial difficulties, or you'll overcome that bully at school, right? If you just have enough faith. Sadly, there's a lot of Christians that do look at this passage in that way. We look at it as a motivational speech. And there's been a lot of secular, uh, secular motivational speakers that use this story as a way to kind of pump people up and get them excited. But as we discovered last week, I just want to remind us that you and I are not David. We are not David in this story. We are, again, we are the Israelites, okay? We are the ones who in the first half of the story are cowering in fear, afraid of the giant, in desperate need. Understand, I want you to get this, church. In desperate need of a representative to fight on our behalf. That was the whole thing there, wasn't it? Israel needed a champion. Israel needed a representative. And like Israel, we stay there in our fear. And just like God used David to step in to be that representative and find victory for Israel, we also today, we also need a representative. And understand this morning, 
That's where Jesus steps in. This is where Jesus steps in because Jesus was our unexpected representative. Jesus was our unexpected representative. He was the one. If you don't get anything else today, and I know it's, it's, it's fun to look at these stories and try to imagine what they're like, but I want you to understand this, church. This is so, so important. Jesus was the one who fought the giant of sin and separation from God on our behalf. And he's the one who went and fought and was victorious over death and hell and the grave while we stood on the sidelines without any ability at all to do anything about it. Like David, Jesus was opposed by his brothers. He was abandoned by his friends precisely at the moment of his greatest battle. Jesus was the only one who, like David, really believed the promises of God the Father. And Jesus was the only one who ran onto that battlefield with perfect confidence in God, saying, not thy will, uh, not my will, but thine be done. And he went and he won a victory on the cross on our behalf, despite our disobedience, despite our fear, and despite our failure. And Jesus today, understand, it is Jesus that defeated sin and death and guilt so that you and I could respond like Israel did at the sight of that victory. Think about Israel for a moment. They saw that giant go down. They experienced that victory. And what did they do? They jumped up and they said, let's go. It encouraged them. And they began to attack and they began to defeat those much smaller enemies. Understand what I'm saying here. And they began to go and they began to see victory. Why? Because the, the main enemy, he was done. It was over with. He was down. He was defeated. And Jesus defeated sin and Jesus defeated death so that you and I could respond in that way. Not because of our great strength in any way at all. Not, not because of that at all. But we saw Jesus win a victory on our behalf. And we then are encouraged because the battle is already won. When Goliath fell and David finished the job, they moved forward with courage. And the courage that they received was because the enemy was dead. And as followers of Christ, this is what we need to remember this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the same is true for us. When Jesus died on that cross, and when he rose again three days later, he proved to us that he was in fact God and not a man. And when he rose from the grave, he forever defeated our enemy. And because of that victory, you and I do not have to live in fear of our enemy and of sin because of what Jesus has already done. I remind you of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our, say that word with me, our faith. God's victory over sin is giving us victory over life today. In Romans chapter 6, he says that we should reckon ourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The amazing truth today is this, is that the real menacing giant in our life is not our present situation, no matter how tragic your situation may be right now or how difficult it may be. The real giant in our lives is the one who's already been defeated that day at Calvary. That's the one that's really been defeated, the giant of sin and death and separation from God. 
And because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God in our place, we can have confidence in the face of every other challenge that we go up against in this life. If you don't get anything, get this today. We can face the difficulties and challenges of this life because Jesus is already separation from God, dying in our sins. And I got to tell you this morning, if, if you're here and maybe this is your first time at church and you've never, you've never even heard anything like this before, I want to tell you something. Jesus loves you, okay? He loves you. And he loves you so much that he went to the cross. That's why that's the, the symbol of Christianity is the cross. And not a cross with him still on it, by the way, but an empty cross. And that's the symbol of what Jesus did for us. And when he went to the cross and he suffered and he died as no one should, he did it not for himself, but he did it for our sins. Scripture tells us that you and I are eternally separated from God because of our sin. And because of that sin, there is a penalty that must be paid. Sin is rebellion against God. It's anything that we say, think, or do that goes against God and his law. And we can, we, we can very easily identify those in our lives. But because of our separation from God, because of our sin, something needs to happen. And Romans teaches us that while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, when Jesus died on the cross and ultimately rose again from the dead in three days, which we're coming up on the Easter season, and I'm very excited about that. Ultimately, what he was doing is he was offering and providing a way for you and for me to be made righteousness of God in him. Meaning this, if we, Jesus took the penalty of our sin, meaning those of us that are in rejection of that, those of us who are away from God, we simply have to turn in faith to Jesus Christ, place our faith and our trust in him and in his perfect sacrifice for our sin. And the Bible tells us that we can then receive eternal life. That's life beyond this world, life in heaven. We can receive eternal life in heaven because of what Jesus did. See, you and I cannot die for our own sins. That's just the reality of it. Who are we? We're just, we're just men and women. But Jesus, the perfect sinless son of God, who had no sin in him whatsoever, he died so that we then could be made righteous because of him. And that's the story of the gospel. That is the, that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about Jesus. When he died, he defeated that ultimate enemy because the real enemy to you and I is our sin. That's the real enemy. And Jesus overcame that enemy. And as Christians, this is what is so amazing. As Christians, if you are saved and you've accepted God's gift of salvation, then you have everything that you need to face the difficulties of this life. If you want to call them the smaller giants, not because you're David, but because you trust Jesus. And he's defeated the ultimate one. And so if we know that our ultimate sin is defeated, then you know what? Any difficulty in this life that we go through, when we compare it with the gift of Scripture, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare. But we must start taking our eyes off the size of our giants. We must stop listening to unbelievers or people that try to throw shade onto our, our pursuits. And we must completely put our faith and trust in Jesus. Say, okay, God, if, you, if you've taken care of the big enemy, I'm going to be okay. It's going to work out. I'm going to be able to get through what I'm going through right now. Imagine the difference in your life. Think about this for a moment. Imagine the difference in your life if you faced the temptations, the challenges, the struggles that we all go through, the insecurities, if you face them with the confidence of our victorious God. Far too many of us face those difficulties. And we face, I mean, there's hard things in life. Some of you are going through some 
really tragic circumstances right now. And it's a part of living in a fallen and a broken world, and it's, it's, it's sad and it's difficult. But I want to tell you that in light of what God has already done, in light of his gift of goodness and grace to you, you are going to get through it. And not only that, God's going to give you the strength you need and the confidence to move forward for him. And what a difference in your life it would make if you would just simply look at life in this way. See, that is the big picture of this story. Looking at our seemingly impossible situations and realize that because of Christ, we can move forward with confidence because he has already won. He's already won today. We hope that you were encouraged by the message today and we would love to hear how God has worked in your life. If you'd like to take the time to visit our website and send us a message through the contact page, we would really appreciate it. Have a blessed day.